Good morning. morning. It's good to be here. It is good to gather, uh, to worship God, to answer his call into his presence. Uh, Before we begin, I just have a couple of uh, announcements. Sunday night Bible study, we will meet tonight at five in the Fellowship Hall. Um, Our women's and men's Bible studies will meet Wednesday at six o'clock. Women of the church will have their monthly meeting this Tuesday evening at seven. And then lunch bunch for the women of the church will be Thursday the 29th at 1130 as well. Yes. For? Oh, Tuesday the 27th. Okay. So that's Tuesday the 27th. For lunch bunch. Any, anything else? Gregory has an announcement. Seneca Trails Christian Academy, the school I teach at, is going to be having a service week uh, the 19th through 22nd of this month. Basically, the students are going to be going around the community looking for help to the families that want yard work done and wheat, uh, weeding, weeding, leaf blowing stuff that Zachary used to do for some of y'all when we were here. Zachary won't have to, he won't have to, be free when he takes the service week. If that's, if you like, if you'd like some work done in your yard or if you just want to learn different ways we can support the school, maybe, maybe we can bring some of our students and work on your yard. Just come talk to me after the service. I'll be back in the foyer with your mom and dad and read your love. Okay. And on April 30th, we're having a spring festival. It's open to everybody. All I know is the date right now, though. Hopefully we'll have more information soon. Okay. So was everybody everybody hear that okay? The Seneca Trail is doing a, a work week on the week of the 19th. So if you need yard work, that type of stuff done at your home, get with Gregory following the service. All right. Any other announcements? Well, if not, our call to worship as well as much of the rest of our service is found in your bulletin. So please take your bulletin. And our call to worship today comes from Psalm 92, the first eight verses. Hear God's call. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord, how profound your thoughts. The senseless man does not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. Let us pray. O Lord above, our hearts are gladdened by your great deeds. In that gladness, we have come into this place to worship you. Remind us that you are near to us and remind us that through the work of Jesus, you are honored by our presence. Hear and accept this prayer, which you, the second person of the Trinity, taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take Bible songs, that green book there in the pew pocket before you, and turn to number 190, The Duty of Daily Praise. Each of us should consider and meditate on the the works and the attributes of God as we go about our daily tasks. And as we meditate on those works and those attributes, we should be led to praise. And so we are called to praise God daily, not just here in church, but every day. So let us stand and sing Bible song 190, The Duty of Daily Praise. Please be seated. 
Another part of our daily duty before God is to consider where we fall short, whether it's in our worship or in our actions. And as we see those things, as God shines the light of his word and his spirit into our hearts to see where we do fall short of God's glory, we are called to confess. So join me in this responsive confession. Father, we gather together with the expectant knowledge that through your son, you freely pardon all who repent and turn to him. We have sinned against you this week in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We have not loved you or others as you told us. Grant us the mercy, the forgiveness, and the cleansing that Jesus gives to those who confess their sin. On that basis, grant that we may continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. To the glory of your name. Amen. Hear these words of assurance by the prophet Jeremiah. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 46, beginning in verse 1. And this is speaking of the gods of Babylon compared to our God. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, You whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Though one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. Remember this and fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are far from righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion and my splendor to Israel. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is the time when we would typically have the ushers come forward and collect our tithes and offerings for the week, but instead of ushers, we have the baskets here and 
and also the offering plate in the back. You may also um, mail your, your tithes and offerings in. But God calls us to worship Him through bringing in a portion of what He has given to us, both of our time, our talent, and, and additionally, our money. And so please prayerfully consider now how you will give. great God, we forget in the busyness of our lives that you have provided all things for us. This giving today of our tithes and offerings is a reminder to us of our dependence upon you for all that we have. Please be honored and glorified by this act of worship. Please use the funds given today and the time given throughout the week for your honor and for your glorious purposes in our world. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please take your hymn book and turn to number 222. And remember the promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. What glorious words that remind us that God answers our call and is always near to us. And so let us be reminded that God hears and answers as we sing hymn number 222, Jesus Stand Among Us. seated. As we consider these words before us in the Apostles' Creed, we have a tendency to just repeat them 
as we do most every week. But I'd like you to consider these words today as we profess them as words of hope. God is the creator God whom we have sinned against. And he sent his son to secure our salvation and the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives. And so as we profess the Apostles' Creed today, we are professing not only what we believe, but our only hope in life and in death. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Right. Uh, As a thanksgiving, we have Doug is here with us today, so we're glad that he's back on his feet and able to be here with us and worshiping. So, Thank you very much. And yeah. I'd like to thank everyone for the cards, prayers, phone calls, messages. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Right. Also, keep in mind our brothers and sisters in Pickaway as they uh, are worshiping uh, down at the New Lebanon Church. I was able to serve the Lord's Supper to them today. and um, So please keep them in mind as we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, but also our brothers and sisters here in the Greenbrier Valley. Um, Keep the uh, Leslie family from the Rock Hill area in your prayers. Dr. Leslie was, um, he and his wife and their two granddaughters, two of their grandchildren were murdered this week in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Uh, But he was very much involved for years with Camp Joy. And so, and also in the denomination as well. So please keep the Leslie family and um, First Church Rock Hill in your prayers as well as they um, deal with this very difficult situation. Are there any other updates or prayer requests? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God of faithfulness and love, we come before you today and praise you, for you are the great God who reigns on high. You are more wonderful and more powerful than any false god that we would try to raise up in your place. You hold all the waters, the depths of the waters in your hands. The wonders and glories of the mountain peaks belong to you. You created the seas and the dry lands. You are sovereign over the creative realm, over the animals, over all human beings. And you are the rock of our salvation You are the strong foundation of our reconciliation with you. When we build our house upon the foundation of the stone that was rejected, we can rest assured in our salvation as that rejected stone has become the chief cornerstone of the new temple that you are building, the church. 
What a strong and unshakable foundation we have in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the apostles and prophets, the scriptures which reveal the glories of your salvation. O great God, we come before you today with thanksgiving, lifting up grateful voices to you for all that you have done. In your sovereignty, you have led each of us to this moment in our lives. Whether we find ourselves in the depths of depression or on the joyous mountaintop, you have sovereignly led us to this place according to your glory and our good. We thank you that Jesus has done the work that enables us to call you our God and to know that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. We thank you for all that you have provided for us in our sustenance and our survival. We have jobs that provide income. We have homes that provide safe places to sleep and fellowship with family and friends. We are grateful for this church which you have provided for us, a church where your truth is taught and your spirit moves among us, working in us so that we may work out our holiness. This church is a community built by you for your glory and our edification. We thank you for the brothers and sisters that are here, for the family which you have built in this place. We thank you for the salvation that is proclaimed here and the grace which you choose to reveal in the preaching and the teaching in this place. We thank you that you hear and answer our prayer. We have seen your mighty acts in providing healing when we call. We have seen the sufficiency of your grace in situations that seem to bring us beyond the end of our rope. You have blessed beyond measure in walking us through the horrors and difficulties of this world. And we lift our worship and praise to you for the glorious work which you have done in our lives. And Lord, because we know that you hear, because we know that you answer, we bring our requests before you today. We thank you that Doug is up and about, able to be here with us today after his knee replacement surgery. We pray that you would continue to strengthen him and continue to heal him as he continues in his physical therapy. We pray for Cohen and his family and ask that you bring continued healing into that family, that you bring continued strength and show them where your grace is sufficient for the dark and difficult road that they walk. We pray for Natalie and her family and ask that you would bring healing and relief for her, strength for her and for her family, and remind them that all that you are, your sovereignty, your omniscience, your justice, your goodness, your greatness, is sufficient for them in this difficult time. And we lift up the Leslie family as well as this tragic loss of, of a doctor and his wife and their grandchildren. We ask that you would bring the healing of the gospel. I thank you for the children of the Leslies who have put out this statement that says their hope is in the gospel and their joy in the midst of this horrific pain is in the knowledge that their loved ones are safe and secure with you. So, Lord, for their church, for the campers and friends of Camp Joy who are grieved by this horrendous news, fill them with the hope and sufficiency of your grace. And Lord, as each of us wrestles 
with our own difficulties, our own horrors of this world. Remind us of your grace and how it is not only sufficient, but more than enough for us, more than enough to sustain us in those dark places, more than enough to strengthen us in the places of weakness and remind us that your strength, your glory is shown in our weakness. Or as Paul said earlier in that letter to the church of Corinth, it is only when we are weak that your grace can work through us enough to make us strong. To the God who provides, please remind us of all that you've given to us in your grace and in your good pleasure. Remind us of all that you do for us on a daily basis in walking along beside us and providing for us those things we take for granted and strengthening us in the midst of our weakness. As we remember all that you do, keep us from grumbling and complaining against you. Keep us from testing you by asking for more or asking, what have you done for me lately? Help us to realize and admit that we are totally reliant upon you for all that we have, for all that we do, for our very lives. Help us to rest in you as we pursue holiness. Help us to testify with our lives and with our words, our trust and reliance upon you. And in that trust, help us to walk according to your law and your instruction. Lord, it is in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do all of these things. And it is in the precious name of our glorious Savior that we pray. Amen. Please take your Bibles in hand and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 20. Today we will begin in verses 20 through 28. Uh, Solomon here is is kind of wrapping things up, so to speak. Once we get to um, chapter 22, 16, we're going to see a shift where um, it's not Solomon or Proverbs that Solomon has written, but Proverbs that Solomon has gathered from other wise people from the nations around him. And so um, this chapter and, and chapter 21 and the first half of chapter 22 are almost Solomon's kind of bringing these first set of wise sayings to a close. And so it was with that in mind that we pick up here in Proverbs chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. If a man curses his father or mother, his lamp lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. The Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? It is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly, and only later to consider his vows. A wise king winnows out the wicked. He drives the threshing wheel over them. The lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. It searches out his inmost being. 
Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. Let us pray. God, our Father, and to the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to your word today seeking you and your will for our holiness. We know that you have begun a work, a good work in us, and that you will see it to completion. Part of the work that you are doing involves searching our hearts with the lamp of your word. As we consider that word today, we ask that the Holy Spirit use the word to shine into our hearts and show us the glories of the work you are doing and also show us where we fall short so that we may repent and turn to you. Thank you for the word you have given and for the Holy Spirit to guide us in the learning and application of that word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Theology is application. At the beginning of each semester that I had a class with Dr. John Frame, he would pretty much open his classes with that statement. Theology is application. And he would also remind us throughout the semester that as we were learning these deep, deep truths of systematic theology, that these truths were not just information and data to fill our minds with so that we could seem smart and educated. But these were truths about God that he had revealed in his word that that had been summarized by godly men throughout the history of the New Testament church. And as these truths taught us more about God, about us, about sin, about salvation, and about our eternal hope in the end times, they should change our lives. Theology is application. At minimum, they should lead us to a deeper sense of worship as we gather as the people of God and as we worship in our families and in our work. They should lead us to a changed, worshipful, holy life. And Solomon is shaping his arguments today and next week as well with this idea that theology is application. Why do we typically study the book of Proverbs? Because it, along with James, is the most practical of books of the Bible. It talks to us about work. It talks to us about money. It talks to us about relationships. It, it tells us how to live and to move within this world. But hopefully, as we have looked over at Proverbs over these last several months, as we continue to look at Proverbs, we will see the resounding truth that theology is application. Because Solomon, as much as he gives Rehoboam and gives us advice on how to live in this world, that advice is given to us in the context of who God is. When Solomon goes to teach his son about vengeance, more specifically about not taking vengeance, he gives us that advice in the context of God being a just God. When he warns Rehoboam and us about against making rash vows, hurried promises, he does that in the light of God being a sovereign God. God. 
And when Solomon teaches Rehoboam about reigning and judging well, he gives that that teaching in light of God's omniscience. And I have to say, brothers and sisters, as I consider my own life, I myself was surprised by the depth of theology in the book of Proverbs. I was hoping to teach you how to live well through this book, and hopefully I have. But hopefully more as I have studied this, I have learned to teach you who God is. And as we learn who God is, we learn to live well. And as Solomon brings us our teaching today, brings Rehoboam this teaching, he focuses on three attributes of God that we'll look at. He focuses on the fact that God is just. He focuses on the fact that God is sovereign. And he focuses on the fact that God is omniscient. First, God is just. Solomon opens today's passage with a warning against children cursing their parents. If a man curses his father or mother, his lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness and inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Cursing here is not merely saying hurtful or harmful words to the parent or to the authority figure. It is a literal wishing that the father or mother were dead. Think of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32. The younger son goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. In 21st century America, there may be tax advantages to going to your parents and having them give you the money now instead of waiting for them to pass away. But in the ancient Near East, the only way to get your inheritance, the only legal way for you to receive your inheritance was for your father to pass away. The younger son is going to the father and he says, I wish you were dead and I want my money now. He has cursed his father and the law in Exodus 21 and in other places throughout the law, Exodus 21, 17 specifically says that the child who curses their parents is liable to the death penalty is liable to death. And so that's what Solomon says here. He says, if a man curses his father or mother, the the word man there is, is the Hebrew generic word, which would also apply to human. So if a human curses his father or mother, that human's lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. Why would a person curse their father or mother to the point that they wish they were dead. Well, one option that Solomon gives here is that they might want their inheritance now, just like the prodigal son. But Solomon warns that that inheritance that is quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. One of the ways that an inheritance quickly gained is not blessed is that money that comes quickly usually goes quickly as well. Think of the number of lottery winners that you have read about that within several years end up in bankruptcy because that quick gain goes out quickly as well. But the the idea of not being blessed at the end is more than just temporal or earthly consequences. That word translated end at the end of verse 21 in the prophets is usually smashed together with for the word with for the word for days. 
And the prophets talk about God coming back and bringing blessing in the end days. Also talks about God coming back and bringing curses and judgment in the end days. And so there's a double meaning here at the end of verse 21 that a a person who curses their parents, a person who gains their inheritance through the wished death or even actual death maybe of their parents will not only suffer consequences here on earth, but also when God returns to either bless or to judge. But what's our tendency as human beings? What was Rehoboam's tendency? What was his supposed reaction if he was the one who was cursed? Well, if I'm cursed or I'm offended against, I want retribution. I want justice. I want vengeance. And Solomon says, in light of this, in light of the fact that if a man curses his father or mother, his lamp will be snuffed out and he will be judged. If you are the one who is cursed, don't pursue revenge. Don't pursue vengeance. And why is that? Well, it's for the Lord If we wait on the Lord, he will deliver you because he's just. Verse 23 is a verse we've talked about before that God hates um, dishonest business practices. Why? Because he's just. He pursues justice. Justice is righteousness applied. Justice is the law applied to our lives and to other people. The law says that there are certain consequences for certain sins. There are certain punishments That should be given for certain offenses and they must be handed out fairly and God will hand them out fairly in the end. And we are to wait on him for his deliverance. Now, this doesn't mean that if somebody commits a crime against us that we don't pursue all legal ramifications. But it reminds us that when human justice fails, God's justice doesn't. And it reminds us as well that even when human justice is quote unquote successful, it's still not enough. It's not true justice until God is satisfied. And so we pursue justice on this earth with the understanding, with the knowledge that we will be disappointed on this earth. And instead of taking vengeance, we patiently wait for God to work out his justice in his time. Because brothers and sisters, God is just. It is fundamentally part of who he is, which means justice will be done. But it also means that for some people, justice has been done. The imprecatory psalms are, are psalms that, that cry out for justice, that cry out for punishment upon the wicked, sometimes in very graphic terms. But almost all of them, not all of them, Psalm 137 is an example of one that is not like this, but most all of them not only cry out for justice, but also cry out to God for salvation. Brothers and sisters, 
We have, cre- we have committed crimes, you and I, against the just God. And God either will be or has been just against those crimes. For those who believe, for those who profess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Saved from what? God's justice as that justice fell upon the cross. As my eternal rebellion against God, as your eternal treason against the holy God of creation deserves God's justice for those who believe that justice fell on the cross. One of the reasons we wait for salvation is not only for our salvation, but potentially the salvation of the person who has committed an offense or a crime against us. We pray for God's justice to be done, but we pray for for that person that they will believe and profess and find that God's justice falls upon the cross instead of upon them. We can take the most heinous of crimes done against us And we can call for God's justice and God's grace to be shown at the same time. We wait for salvation from the Lord because we know that God is just and he will bring that salvation. Secondly, Solomon talks to a son about the sovereignty of God and he does so in light of a warning against rash promises. Verse 25, it is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly only later to consider his vows. We all understand rash promises to God. We find ourselves in the middle of a situation and out of sheer desperation, oftentimes without any intention of keeping the vow or the word, we go, God, if you'll just get me out of this, I will fill in the blank. I can't handle this anymore. Get me out of this and I will move to the Antarctic and evangelize penguins. Whatever it is, it's typically a rash vow that we take that we have not considered the consequences or the cost of. Of course, we live in a culture that makes rash vows. Think of marriage. How many people bail on marriage these days? Because they were so desperate to not be alone that they rushed in to marriage. Solomon said, or yes, Solomon says to Rehoboam, don't make rash vows because God is sovereign. Verse 23 or 24, excuse me. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? You know, if you're in a difficult spot right now, if you're struggling with life or illness or finances or family, you desperately want out, don't you? I know I do when I'm in those situations. I desperately want out of them and I am willing to do almost anything to get out of them. Except... Rest in the fact that God has sovereignly brought me to that very moment. 
that he is working his grace through me. He is working his holiness through me. He is working in my life to make me more and more reliant upon him. And I want out right now. And I'll promise you anything, God, if it will just tip the scale in my favor to get me out of this. Almost blasphemy. Because it is a denial that God has sovereignly ordered the steps of my life, the steps of your life to bring you into the situation that you're in right there. Why? Because there is some step in that process of moving from justification to glorification that God says, I need to work on you in this space right here. And you may not understand it. You may not ever understand it. But one day you'll see clearly enough that my glory was being worked out in you, that then you will fully understand and trust the sovereignty of me bringing you into that difficulty. God's gracious sometimes that he shows us the glory here on earth to where we look back on our lives when those those situations that when we were in the middle of them and we absolutely hated and wanted out of almost immediately, we can turn around a couple months, a couple years, a couple decades, if you live long enough, a couple centuries later, and just say, oh, wow, man, God did that in this situation. I can't believe I wanted out of it as badly as I did. Because wonderful things have worked for me. Don't make rash promises before God without counting the cost to get out of difficulties that you don't understand, yet he has sovereignly brought you into. Count the cost. See what God is doing. Don't be rash. Don't be hasty because God is sovereign. We don't take vengeance because God is just. We don't make rash or hasty vows because God is sovereign. And we do our best to apply the law because God is omniscient. What is omniscience? Omniscience is the truth about God that his infinity is applied to knowledge. God knows and sees and hears all things. All things that have ever happened. All things that ever will happen. All things that could possibly happen if we decided to turn left instead of right last Tuesday or whatever day you turned left instead of right. God knows everything. And so as we seek to apply his law, we can rest in that omniscience. Solomon turns to Rehoboam and reminds him that he is responsible for judging between the wicked and the righteous. Verse 26, a wise king winnows out the wicked. He drives the threshing wheel over them. The process of winnowing and threshing was removing the fruit of grain, the the kernels of wheat, the kernels of corn, the oats, the barley from all the other stuff, the stalk, the, the seed covering around the seed. And it could be a violent process. If it was a small operation, you would grab a handful of seed of of harvested wheat and you would rub it between your hands and then the the chaff the the stuff you didn't want would blow away in the wind and the the grain would fall to the ground but solomon's talking here about a a little bit bigger uh 
process, bigger scale process here where you actually put all the grain in a pile. And you have a wagon with wheels, with spikes on the wheels. And the wagon is pulled back and forth across this big pile of wheat. And the spikes will separate the chaff from the kernels. And then whether it's a natural wind or somebody you know, moving a big fan back and forth, a, a breeze is brought across in order to blow away all the stuff that doesn't belong. And Solomon is telling Rehoboam, look, your job as king is to figure out who's righteous and to figure out who is not righteous, who is wicked. And you will drive your threshing wheel over the wicked. But you know what happens sometimes in human courts of law, whether you're Rehoboam, whether you're a magistrate here in Greenbrier County, whether you're a Supreme Court judge, you get things wrong. Why? Because we're human. Sometimes we thresh the innocent and winnow out the innocent. Sometimes we allow the guilty to go free, declared as innocent. And what are we to do in the light of that? Where are we to take hope in the light of that? Well, we are to the for Rehoboam, he was to guide his governing, guide his judging with love and faithfulness. Covenant words here. Love is the idea of obedient, steadfast, covenant faithfulness pursuit. And so when we see these two words together, love and faithfulness, some translations say steadfast love. When we see these two words together, we know that the the king is to do his best to follow the covenant, both in obedience and in applying it to his kingdom. And his throne will be secure. But what hope does he take in that, knowing that he's a human, he's going to fail in his own obedience, he's going to fail in his own application? Well, the hope is in God's omniscience. Because God knows whether you are full of love and faithfulness. And for those times that you mess up, go back to the first point. God is just. And we wait for his deliverance and his salvation. But God knows your heart. And if you are truly pursuing steadfast love and faithfulness to his rules for holiness, well then, for Rehoboam, his throne would be made secure. And for you and I, our place before God is secure as well because it's not dependent upon our ability to be steadfast, to have steadfast love and faithfulness. The security of our place before God is rooted in the steadfast love and faithfulness of the only king who was ever perfectly loving and faithful, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is his steadfast love and faithfulness that God sees when we fail, whether it's in obedience or whether it's applying the law. When I, when you, when I struggle toward holiness, we are going to fall. But God sees us as steadfast love and faithfulness because of Jesus. Parents, managers, 
bosses, police officers, magistrates are going to struggle to apply the law well to whoever they have authority over. And they are going to mess up. But God is just and He is omniscient. And He will right those wrongs, as I said earlier, either on the cross or in eternity. Parents, cut yourselves some slack. Grandparents, cut yourselves some slack. The question is not when, or I'm sorry, the question is not if, but when you mess up in applying the law. God sees you as righteous and God will take it and work glory out of that. Children, give your parents a break. You may be in their shoes one day. God is just. God is sovereign. God is omniscient. And that affects how we live. You and I are going to be offended against. It may be something as horrific as a man breaking into your house and shooting you, your spouse, and two of your grandchildren. It may be as simple as somebody cutting you off in traffic. God is just. Wait for His salvation. Rest in Him and in His justice because justice will be done. You and I are going to find ourselves, whether we're already there right now, whether we're coming out of this type of situation or whether we're on our way into the situation, we are going to find ourselves in a situation we don't want to be in. And we're going to be tempted to make rash vows to God. God, if you'll just get me out of this, I will. Whatever you're willing to give up. In the midst of those situations, trust in God's sovereignty. Count the cost of maybe losing an opportunity to see his glory in your life if you try to rush out of the situation too quickly. Don't wallow in it. But wait for God and his sovereignty to show his glory. And you know what? Each and every one of us, hopefully on a daily basis, is trying to live according to steadfast love and faithfulness and to enforce that steadfast love and faithfulness in the relationships that we have. And as I said earlier, in both of those situations, it's not if, it's when. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. God knows your heart. God knows in whom you believe. And even when we are not, He sees us as steadfast and faithful. Theology is application. God is just. God is sovereign. God is omniscient. Let us pray. Lord, those three truths right there are meant to change our lives. They should lead us to greater worship. They should lead us to greater waiting as we pursue justice in our world. They should lead us to a sense of peace and sufficiency in you in the midst of situations which we don't understand. They should lead us to remember that you know the beginning from the end. That you know the glory that you are working 
in our lives through the one who was truly steadfast in his love and faithful in his covenant keeping. Allow those truths to change our lives. Allow us to trust you more. Allow us to wait on you more. And then allow us to find that light burden and easy yoke that was promised us by the steadfast love of the faithful one. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is a battle. It is a spiritual battle. And we are called to fight that battle. We are equipped with the armor of God. We are called to leave this place strengthened in the might of God to fight as soldiers of Christ. So please turn to the hymn book, the maroon book there before you. Please turn to hymn number 350, Onward Christian Soldiers. We lead with the sword of God's truth in the battle against the powers and the darkness. So let us stand and sing Onward Christian Soldiers, hymn 350.
As we leave this place today, remember that the sovereign God is just and omniscient and He is leading you to a place, even when we don't understand, a place where He is glorified and for our good. And so as you go, take this blessing upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His countenance upon you and give you peace. We cry with the saints before. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.